0: Okay, let's look at uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 33. That's our passage today. In his book, Soul Shift, Steve Denef writes about a time he had with his dad at Kmart. I've never had a time with my dad at Kmart. When Steve was 12 years old, his dad made a special occasion to reward his son for personal achievement. Steve's dad took him to Kmart and said... Uh, to congratulate you. I want to buy you anything in this whole store tonight. Anything. And Steve's eyes widened as he thought about the possibilities he had. Steve writes, I didn't have a full grasp on how money worked or how much money my dad had. So I sort of limited myself to the possibilities. He said, I didn't even look at the expensive uh, stereo systems or the bikes in the store. I didn't look at anything that cost over $100. Instead, I chose a cassette tape. There, That kind of dates it. A cassette tape case that was less than $50. And I imagine that was an expensive one if he spent close to $50 for a cassette case. He said, I was content with just that case. It was more than I could afford for sure. Uh, It was very nice. Only many years later did I find out from my dad that he had $1,000 cash in his pocket on that night. And not only that, he brought his checkbook in case that wasn't enough. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus teaches us something about prayer. Do we have a full grasp about prayer and how prayer works do we as God's children know what our heavenly dad has in his pocket? Steve DeNeth, uh, like Steve DeNeth, do we miss opportunities with our heavenly father? In Mark uh, 11, verses 20 through 33, we're going to see uh, what seems like an awkward passage in some regard. At first glance, verses 20 and 21 don't seem like they fit with verses 22 through 25. And I just would invite you to turn to that passage. And I'd like to read that to kind of introduce um, this awkwardness. In the morning, um, Mark chapter 11, verse 20. In the morning, this would be Tuesday morning. We started on Sunday. This is Tuesday. Triumphal entry, Sunday. Cleansing of the temple, Monday. This is Tuesday. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says, it will happen. It will be done for him. Boy, I am having trouble with the lighting today. what happens when your eyes get dark verse 24 therefore I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you have received it and will be yours and when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins and so it seems like there's a couple of passages there that how do they fit together because it doesn't seem like it's very smooth let's look at uh verses 20 through 25, and follow along on your outline. Number one, the old system will be replaced by the new. The old system will be replaced by the new. Well, what old system? Well, the old system refers to the temple and its religious leaders. The old system includes the law of the Old Testament and that whole animal sacrificial system. The new represents the way of the king, the kingdom way, and its inaugurated in the new testament by jesus so let's look at the fig tree incident the fig tree incident represents the old system this is in verses 20 and 21 now i need a little help you with a little context a little reminder to see how this fits okay this is review if we go back to last week verses 12 through 14 It says, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Bethany's two miles out of Jerusalem. It's on the east side. That's where Jesus hung out with um, Mary, uh, Margaret, Martha, Mary, Martha, and um, brother Lazarus. Thank you. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find it, if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. That seems reasonable. Then he said to the tree, this is the hard part, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. And so all these eyewitnesses and he made this hard saying, and it doesn't seem to make sense to them. It seems like, well, Jesus, why would you, why would you want to hurt this poor tree? And what we talked about last week is that Jesus was giving a living parable uh, keep in mind Jesus had been at the temple the day before. He, we, well, he went there on Sunday. Remember the triumphal entry? He gets to the very end. They get into Jerusalem. Jesus is getting late. He goes to the temple. He walks around. He's on a reconnaissance mission. He's looking to what he sees. What does he see? He sees animals in the temple, animal stalls. They're not supposed to be there. He sees tables with bags of money. They're not supposed to be there. He sees people buying and selling animals to be sacrificed uh, in the temple. They're not supposed to be there. This is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, there is a major impediment in the house of prayer, and people can't come and pray. They've got this bizarre going on. The fig tree was a living parable. Parable. The fig tree was a metaphor for Israel and its failure. Because in the Old Testament, God talked about Israel like a fig tree, not bearing fruit. Now Jesus is living this out. Just like an Old Testament prophet sometimes did actions, like Jeremiah putting a yoke around his neck to demonstrate the yoke that would be on Israel, or Jeremiah bearing a cloth in the dirt, and then digging it up later and showing how rotten it was to display the spirituality of Israel, Jesus was, was involved with a living parable. And the, Israel did not produce fruit, and this fig tree did not produce fruits, fruit. Jesus is indicating that time is running out for the nation Israel. God will bring judgment okay so that's the fig tree incident last week and i'm reviewing if you weren't here we go right next to verses 15 through 17 and this is the problem of the old system and this is where i just talked about how jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there he overturned the tables he just wreaked havoc on this place this was a bold move he could have been arrested right on the spot they apparently were afraid to arrest him. Um, the temple was to be a house of prayer. So the fig tree is a living parable that pictures Israel being judged for not bearing fruit. And then it follows uh, that Jesus marches into the temple and single-handedly overturns the religious racketeering industry in the temple. Now think about this. God is not happy with the temple religious system. Because Jesus, the Son of God, is not happy with this system. And now we come to the passage that we start with today, verses 20 and 21. The picture of impending judgment. In the morning, we said it was Tuesday. As they went along, they're going from Bethany, two miles into Jerusalem. They saw the fig tree. The one they had seen the day before that Jesus spoke to. It had withered from its roots. That's kind of a drastic thing. Not from top down, but from bottom up. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, this is cool. The fig tree you cursed has withered. Jesus is not even going to comment about the fig tree. Um, Pretty drastic change for 24 hours to, to wither from the roots up. Now, Mark 12, keep the context in mind, Mark 12 is all on Tuesday. Now we're going to look at Mark 13. Now, usually we don't, I don't have so many ideas. But this is a little complex, but stay with me. Mark 13, verses 1 and 2. Jesus was leaving the temple, same day, late. Look, teacher, one of the disciples said. What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. This is the temple. Isn't this awesome? Isn't it beautiful? It's kind of like the fig tree with all those leaves. What does Jesus say? Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on one another. Everyone will be thrown down. That was a bold statement. He's saying there is going to be total destruction to this temple. Every stone will be torn down. Now, if you know history, 70 A.D., Titus the Roman general came in to destroy the city of Jerusalem. And he understood how important it was to crush the Jewish people by crushing their temple. What did he do? These stones were massive. Uh, Solid granite, bigger than my hands here some of them one stone higher than my hands. And they drug every one of those off of the temple mount into the ravine next to it just to crush the Jewish people in 70 AD. So the old is going to be replaced by the new. Verses 22 through 25. Now we come to this awkward transition. The new system will be characterized by faith. Um... So Jesus doesn't respond uh, to this fig tree thing. You know, Peter says, hey, Lord, this is cool. And Jesus doesn't even say anything. He says, verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus answered. The new system will be characterized by faith. The new system will be characterized by faith. Number one, living by faith will replace the works-oriented religious system. He says, have faith in God. He's just going to go from uh, let's not talk about the fig tree. Let's not talk about the temple. Let's not talk about God's judgment. Here's what I've been trying to get to you guys from the beginning. And how many times, and we could do this, we could go back and look at every passage where the, the, uh, the disciples were clueless. They, they didn't have faith. They didn't understand Jesus was teaching. And they're talking about bread, and he's talking about other stuff. And he's trying to, to instill this value of faith. They need to learn to trust God. Uh, secondly, living by faith will see answers to big prayers, verses 23 and 24. Uh, he says, Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes uh, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Wow, isn't that cool? So Jesus says, You know, uh, if anyone says to this mountain, What mountain? Well, you know what? They're, they're on the Mount of Olives. This is just outside of Jerusalem. And he says, uh, Go throw yourself into the sea. What sea? Well, from the Mount of Olives, you can see the Dead Sea. And he's trying to picture something for them. You can tell this mountain to go throw yourself into that sea. Now, do you think Jesus literally meant that? He wanted his disciples to go around and talking to the mountains and telling the mountains to go in the sea so they could fill up the sea? I don't think that's maybe what Jesus intended. But he was teaching them about faith. He had just told the fig tree, you're not going to bear any fruit. He spoke with the authority of heaven. And he said, you can do that to a mountain. But I don't think he literally meant the mountain. I think he was talking about a spiritual metaphor. Mountains of obstacles that seem totally immovable. Um, Jesus' words were figurative. He said, um, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Jesus is teaching them about having faith, about trusting God, about believing what God says, about doing what God says, that's living by faith. Jesus made radical statements as an intention getter. He said this all of the time. Things that were radical. Um, Jesus is teaching that by faith, prayer can overcome huge obstacles like mountains the disciples will learn that they will see amazing things happen they will see the church get started after a prayer meeting in a room in jerusalem they will see it's they will be hiding out afraid and fearful and on the day of pentecost they will go out into the streets and 3000 people will believe in the message of peter that christ died for their sins and the church got started that would be like a mountain and um, they're going to see people healed. They're going to believe and they're going to see people healed. They're going to have a ministry just like Jesus. They're going to see people raised from the dead. They're going to see angels open prison doors. The gospel will explode in Jerusalem and spread throughout the uh, Roman Empire in their lifetime. So do you think Jesus is teaching that prayer is like going to the Kmart and God saying, I'm going to give you whatever you want? Probably not. You you can t- you can answer. You know, uh, um, Matthew Matthew. When we look at this whole concept we look at anything that Jesus teaches, We need to look at all that Jesus taught. Matthew six verses nine and ten. Um, we need to understand when it comes to prayer that this is true. That the other passage doesn't stand alone. It stands with what Jesus taught in the New Testament. Jesus, this is from the Lord's prayer. It's a model prayer. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, it is in heaven. It's a prayer request for God's kingdom. It's a prayer request for God's will to be done. Our prayer should be in submission to the will of God. And it should be fitting for the kingdom of God. Um. Mark chapter 14, verses 35 and 36. Going a little further, this is the night that, uh, before Jesus was crucified. So this is in the garden. This is when he prayed, and uh, the scripture says that he prayed drops of blood. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, this hour might pass. He, the crucifixion is coming, and, and honestly, Jesus, right this minute, would rather not face it. Kind of human, doesn't it? Sounds kind of human. 36, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. True, good theology. Take this cup from me. I'd like not to go to the cross, yet not what I will, but what you will. There is your example for us. Jesus, facing the suffering, ultimately submits Uh, to the will of the Father. John 14, 13 and 14. Jesus told his disciples, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And so here's a new wrinkle. It's about his name. Add that to your list. Is it according to name meant reputation? Is my prayer request consistent with the reputation of Jesus? Does my prayer request enhance Jesus and what He is about? Now, God grants a lot of things that aren't specifically focused, but if some, He grants prayers to His servants who are seeking to walk with Him and seek the kingdom of God first. But if my prayer is self-centered, that would not be praying according to the reputation of Jesus. Jesus is not self-centered. Does my request enhance his reputation or detract from his, his reputation? Is it, uh, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it is wait. Maybe it is no. And I just want to ask you, are you okay when God says no? not always fun but are you okay when God says no he's God and I am not John 16:23 and 24 in that day you will no longer ask me anything uh, very truly I tell you my father will give you whatever you ask in my name until now you've not asked for anything in my name ask and you receive and your joy will be complete God wants to answer your prayer And one of the things this is about is it's about aligning our hearts with what God wants. As we seek first the kingdom of God, we want the things that God wants. And he puts those in our hearts, and he causes us to yearn for them, and he gives us great joy when he answers. Great joy. That's a real experience. In March 2011, uh, the IJM staff... And volunteers, over a 1,000 of them, gathered in Washington, D.C. to pray for the rescue of human slavery. It's the same international justice mission that we did a run for. Um, in that meeting was a man from Chanel, India. And I won't uh, tell you his name because I couldn't pronounce it. Um, he is not usually a very brave person. But after that prayer meeting he went back to his hometown, his village in India. And he was aware of a brick industry where human trafficking was involved. And as people were continuing to pray in Washington, D.C., he launched a police raid on the brick industry and rescued 522 people in one fell swoop. And what are we saying? Um... God can remove big obstacles because of prayer. And he delights in answering prayer. Thirdly, verse 25, living by faith goes hand in hand with forgiving others. Living by faith goes hand in hand with forgiving others. Verse 25, and when you stand praying, Jesus said, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is really Christianity okay, but this is where we fall down sometimes. This is, uh, Jesus is saying there's a direct correlation between your prayer life and answered prayer and your ability to forgive other people who offend you. Believe me, other people are going to offend you because you're human and they're human. No, and um, sometimes offenses aren't even sinful, but we get offended and, and then they can become sin. Um, God does not answer the prayer of hypocrites. Unforgiveness is an obstacle to our prayer life. My relationship with others impacts my relationship with God. Uh, Jesus also taught this in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You have a block. You have a spiritual block. When you do not forgive, unforgiveness becomes sinful. Somebody can hurt you, somebody can offend you, somebody can sin against you, and it hurts. Yes, it's valid. It gives us no right to go through life without forgiving them. It may not be easy, it may take some time, but you need to take a step of forgiveness if you will be obedient. Ephesians 4.32 reinforces this. The apostle Paul said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiving is something we must do, even when it's hard. So, the old system will be replaced by the new. Secondly, the old system confronts the new, verses 27 through 33, um, The confrontation, verse 27, the old system leaders confront Jesus. They arrived, verse 27, again in Jerusalem. That's Jesus and his disciples. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, guess what? The chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. This is like overkill. Why don't we bring out, you know, 55 people and have them stand there and talk to Jesus as he teaches? Now, they didn't come out to learn. I don't know how many people there were, but it was a large group. Because you know who this group is? They, are the, they make up the Sanhedrin. They make up the Jewish ruling council. It's like the Supreme High Court of Israel has now come to observe Jesus. And it's not because they're interested to learn and get excited about advancing the kingdom. They have come to challenge him. This is still Tuesday. And um, let's go back to last week, verse 18, Mark 11:18. 18. The chief priest, there's only supposed to be one chief priest at a time, and the real chief priest during Jesus' day was Caiaphas. But Caiaphas' father-in-law, Annas, had been the high priest, and he's one that really calls the shots. He tells his son-in-law kind of what to do. So now we have at least two high priests. And the practice of Israel during those days was if you had been a high priest, you get to sit in this group. So there's a plurality of high priests when there's only supposed to be one. And the teachers of the law, now they would be like Pharisees and scribes. And then um, I've got the... uh, I've got the old NIV and it says the elders were also there. and They're, they're, um, they're not professionals. They're lay people. The elders of Israel are like the oldest people in their tribes and they are represented here in this group. And they began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. There was fear among the Jewish leaders because of the popularity of Jesus. The people got more about Jesus than the leaders did. And so... They're looking for a way to kill him. So when they show up here in the temple in Mark 11, verse 27, they uh, are very uh, concerned about Jesus. They're very stressed by Jesus. His activity threatens their future influence. They have had observers following Jesus from the beginning. Remember, all through Ga- the Galilean ministry, off to the side were religious leaders. And they, they come up from time to time and they challenge Jesus. In fact, they accuse Jesus' ministry having supernatural power from Satan in uh, Mark chapter three. Jesus' popularity is unnerving. The instability of in in uh, Jerusalem uh, threatens the security they have with Rome. We don't want to we don't want to make waves with the Roman Empire. Uh, they might shut us down, and so we got to we got to work out these political things with the Roman Empire. And so Jesus is a threat. The question comes in verse 28, but what what authority are you doing these things, they ask, and who gave you the authority to do this? Because I'll tell you what, we didn't give you the authority. We do not recognize you. You do not have a seminary degree. You, You are not ordained. You can't be here. Who are you? The religious leaders are the only ones in Israel with religious authority. Or so they think. What are the things do they refer to? By what authority are you doing these things? Well, for sure, it's all about Jesus going into the temple and turning over the tables and uh, driving out the money changers and those who are buying and selling. That made them irate. That was a major challenge. The temple was theirs. This and, the, and what we know from reading history is it's the priest's And the Sadducees who are doing the markets, they get a kickback, they have the policies and the procedures, and it's through them that people get to come in and change money and sell animals. And so this, they have really upset Jesus. This is like the last straw. Um, The question is, by what authority do you do these things? Now, Jesus has been giving off clues since the very beginning. Um, the religious leaders should have seen his authority. Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. Uh, we've, we've looked at this passage a few times. Messiah, when Messiah comes, expect these things. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then they, the lame leap like a deer. And the mute tongue shout for joy. That's what Jesus did in his healing ministry. They were miracles. Miracles authenticate the message and the messenger. It was a message to Israel. Wake up, Israel. Wake up, Israel. God is at work. God is here. God is doing something. Wake up, Israel. That's the message of all of those miracles. And who didn't get it? Who didn't listen? Who didn't hear it? It was the leaders. People were getting it. The people were beginning to understand it. Um, also, in John 7, 7, 17, Jesus made this statement. This was early in his ministry, and it was in Jerusalem. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So Jesus is saying, you know, if you want to find out if, where my authority comes from, If you want to find out if I'm the real deal, try following. And if you follow, you're going to find the truth. You're going to understand. You're going to know whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Now, what about an example of this? John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the story of Nicodemus. So this is Jerusalem. This is early in Jesus' ministry. Mark 11 is at the end of Jesus' ministry, but this is early. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Guess what? He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a member of that group that's standing outside questioning Jesus right now. I don't think he's there, by the way. Verse 2, he came, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody to see him. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus got it right off the bat. He got it early. He's, he's an older man. He's very humble. He's highly trained. He's a professional. And he comes to Jesus, this young man without, who's never been ordained and hadn't been to seminary in Israel. And he says, we, we know you're from God. We know you're a teacher. We, know, we, we can tell by the miracles you're doing. He wants to know more. He's seeking. And we know later that Nicodemus becomes a secret disciple and a secret follower of Jesus. So Nicodemus could get the whole thing. Verses 29 through 30, in answer to the question, by what authority are you doing these things, comes the counter question, 29 and 30. And Jesus said in verse 29, I will ask you one question. Answer me, by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, verse 30, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. So, Counter question, I'll answer you, you answer me. By what authority was John's baptism from heaven or was it human authority? This is a very important concept. Jesus is causing them to stop and think. Now, remember, John the Baptist is not John the Apostle. He's not John, the, one of the 12. John the Baptist was before John happens to be a, probably a cousin of Jesus's. And John had this ministry of going out into the wilderness and pr- preaching, um, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, he was getting the nation ready for Messiah, so the Messiah's, so that the people's hearts would be ready to hear the words of Jesus. Um, let's go back to Mark chapter one, verses nine through eleven. So, very first week on the book of Mark. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth. That's where he was raised, in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. That's about all there is. It happens really quick there. John was out there baptizing. He, he didn't go into Israel. He didn't go into the temple to preach. He went outside into the wilderness, and guess what? People, Thousands of people went out in the wilderness. There, was, there, was no, uh, there were no tents. There were, there were no uh, large stages and air-conditioned places. It was just out in the wilderness, and John's just standing out there preaching, and he's saying, Repent. You need to clean up your act. And so uh, Jesus goes out. Why? Because he identifies with John's ministry. John's ministry has the authority of heaven, and Jesus identifies with that. Verse 10, Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heaven being open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Not a dove, but like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom i love with you i am well pleased that was a powerful moment in the history of the human race when the father spoke from heaven and recognized his son is john's ministry from heaven or is it from the origin human origin because jesus's ministry is very closely tied with john's ministry Malachi 3, verse 1. Malachi 3, next passage. So we looked at this last week. This is a reminder. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, God said. Four centuries before Jesus and John the Baptist, he says, I'm going to send my messenger. it will be a messenger for God, from God, and he's going to be John, okay? And what's his role? He's going to prepare the way for the, the Lord. He's going to pr- prepare the way for Jesus, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking, not the messenger, but the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Oh, that happened, didn't it, last week? The messenger of the covenant, not the old covenant, but this is going to be a new covenant whom you desire will come. He came to the temple and he ran out the money changers. He came with great zeal. Zeal for the house of the Lord consumes me. And uh, what authority? Scripture gives authority. To this messenger of the covenant. Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. The voice was John. He was in the wilderness and he was calling people to prepare the way for the Lord. So, discussion, verses 31 and 32. They discussed the leaders, the religious leaders, among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say um, of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. They are trying their hardest to be politically correct. Uh, They are not seeking truth. They are seeking to win. They want one up on Jesus. They conclude that they don't know the answer. Doesn't that sound cool? That sounds intellectually appropriate. Is ignorant. That's without knowledge. They fear what the people think. And then the answer, uh, verse uh, 33. So they answer Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So uh, Jesus does not answer their question. Uh, But his whole life was kind of an understatement in answering their question. By what authority did Jesus do these things? John 6, 38, for I have come... Down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me, came to do the will of the Father. So, uh, a couple things here. The fig tree incident was a living parable. Remember that? Uh, It proved to be an important clue about what's going to happen to Israel. The old system is going to be destroyed. That's what the fig tree was all about. You know what? There's been no temple in jerusalem since 70 a.d there have been no animal sacrifices in jerusalem since 70 a.d this victory incident was kind of a big deal uh, secondly jesus taught that the new way of the kingdom would be by faith you're going to you're going to begin by faith and you're going to continue by faith it's all about trusting god and trusting god means obedience as i follow christ i do what christ tells me Jesus taught about faith, a faith that removes obstacles, mountains of problems, faith aligned with God's heart and God's priority. So, question, are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in prayer, in your ability to trust God and his promises? Or are you too spiritual just to bother God? That was the problem with um, the leaders in the first century is they were too religious. They already had the answers. They could do religion without God. Jesus also taught that if we don't forgive others, unforgiveness can block our prayers. Unforgiveness is a sin that we need to confess. Um, From 1974 to 1982, Little House on the Prairie was an extremely popular TV show. Anybody watch Little House? A couple of people did. I think it's still in syndicate after 33 years. I think you could probably watch it today. Allison Arngrim played Nellie, the young lady or brat who tried to ruin <laughs> Laura Ingalls' life in nearly every episode. Does anybody know Nellie? A couple of you do. A few years back, Allison, who played Nellie, was at the Los Angeles County Fair. Uh, signing autographs with other child stars. A woman came into the tent and came up to where Nellie was sitting, and she stood there, and she began to shake. And she got very nervous, and she turned red, and she closed her eyes. She kind of took a deep gasp. She didn't bring anything to be signed. She stood in front of Allison, and she was very nervous, and she tried to swallow. And after what appeared to be a long time, she said, I... Forgive you. And then she left. And Allison says that's happened more than once in her life. (laughs) Allison had never met this woman. They had never talked before. They weren't from the same neighborhood or from the same family. Yet this woman had carried a grudge against Allison for over 30 years. And she needed to get it off her chest. And she did. And she asked for forgiveness and she was released. Is there anybody you need to forgive? Let's stand to pray. Father, when we come to the scriptures, sometimes we find passages that are hard. And yet, um, we trust the scriptures by faith we understand and we gain understanding father it's clear that you want us to be a people who trust you and who live by faith and who grow in prayer and avoid religi- religiosity that ends up focusing on doing good without the power of the holy spirit father may we be people who trust you and grow and commit to prayer and to pray for big things to pray for obstacles that are mountains in front of us things that keep us from advancing your kingdom and father may we be a people who are forgiving when people offend us and they do and they will that we are willing to forgive and we let it go Not because um, it feels good, not because it's just uh, a Christian thing, but because we want to be obedient to you. And we want to keep our accounts clear and free with you. Lord, if there's anybody that we need to forgive, show us who that is. And may we take steps to do that. For Jesus' sake, amen.